0: Hey friend, thanks so much for meeting me here at Frothy Monkey in beautiful downtown Franklin, Tennessee. It's a great place to get a good cup of joe and share together in some good conversation. Anyway, be looking at the menu. I know you're new here. Decide what you want. Text it to me. I'm going to go ahead and get in line and place our order. Hey, you're listening to Guat. Rocks, God, the world and other things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission is... Always Advancing Equilibrium in the Midst of an Agitated World. Episode 97, Climbing Out of the Hole of Half-Heartedness, Laodicea, the Half-Hearted Church. Subtitle, Overcoming Debilitating Mediocrity. Let me say right up front, Jesus hates mediocrity. As we look back over the seven churches, we're reminded that the patient love of our Savior that constantly calls even the filthiest churches to repentance Also, we need to keep in mind the power and influence of our environment on our attitudes and actions. Too often, the church's propensity is to reflect rather than illuminate the darkness. To reflect the darkness rather than illuminate it. Laodicea, of all the churches in the cyclical letter, should have been flourishing in kingdom-expanding work for Jesus and his gospel. Jesus mentions no threat from within or without. Plus, they were well off financially and in a city that had been rebuilt by the Roman government only a few decades before after suffering a devastating earthquake. The reference by Jesus to buy eye ointment from him is a play off of the fact that they were known for a medical eye ointment sought after by people with eye infirmities. Yet, against this position for great success in Christ's kingdom? Jesus tells the Apostle John, write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus portrays the church at Laodicea as a tepid drink he held in his mouth. Room temperature works that Jesus finds distasteful to the point of spewing. Laodicea was lukewarm. They were mediocre and didn't know it. Laodicea was the church in the middle, their own worst enemy due to a dangerously self-deceptive evaluation. Jesus says that they said about themselves, "I'm rich, I have become wealthy, and need nothing, and you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What does it mean to be lukewarm? Hot or cold are not portrayed as either good or bad. Jesus portrays either one as desirable state. Or temperature compared to their lukewarmness, our modern-day concept of cold as bad or sin and the perception of hot as good, so oftentimes we hear that hot means to be on fire for the Lord, it can't be sustained in this passage or context. The focus here is on their lukewarm state, which is about to provoke a vomiting reaction in Jesus. And keep in mind, Jesus calls himself the originator of all creation. Folks, that's a difficult place to be. They lacked zest for the Christ life. When you and I approach the kingdom work of God in our poverty-stricken, diseased estate, we are cruising, as they, as the Fawns used to say, we are cruising for a bruising. Jesus will not tolerate it. Jesus hates mediocrity. So how do we climb out of the hole of half-heartedness? Jesus gives us the prescription. Dr. Jesus gives us the prescription. In verse 18, he says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you may be rich; white clothes, so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. and ointment to spread on your eyes, so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous, and repent. We see Jesus despises a deceptive self-sufficient attitude that blocks the door to real good life. Jesus despises a deceptive self-sufficient attitude that blocks the door to real good life. The good life consists of faith. Heavenly cryptocurrency, as you might say. We see your earthly wealth is no good in Christ's kingdom work. He tells them to buy gold. How do you buy gold, clothes, and medicine when you are poor, wretched, pitiful, blind, and naked? The Bible makes it clear that it's by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. And so the way that we buy gold that's been purified with fire is through faith. So, folks, the way that we reach out to Jesus and the way that we come into our right standing with him in regards to our works so that they're pleasing to God, it's a gift from him that we receive if we will only reach out and take it. He invites us to take it today. The second thing is sanctification. So the real good life consists not only of a life of faith, that is demonstrated by a pure refinement of works. The second thing is a sanctification of purity. Jesus says, I'm gonna give you, I will give you white clothes to cover your shameful nakedness. The third thing is spiritual vision. The concept of that eye salve to heal their eyes so that they can see clearly. So folks, if we want to live the real good life of faith, it's got to be based on what Jesus gives us through faith, that purity, that sanctification and spiritual vision. Jesus demands life change accompanied by a continual spiritual passion. There cannot be a lapse in our fervency for Him. We need to zealously pursue dedicated service to God. He commands us to be zealous and repent. Repentance arrests the condition of lukewarm self-sufficiency. Jesus desired the church at Laodicea to repent, to be restored to wholeness in every way, which ends up with an open invitation to let Jesus in. Think about this. Jesus pictures himself as being locked out of his own house. Friend, Jesus desires fellowship with you and I. Real fellowship is intimate and reciprocal. In spite of their sin of mediocrity, Jesus makes it clear that his disgust over their situation is based in love that manifests itself through chastisement and disciplinary actions. Repentance alone will not stay the tide of mediocrity, though. We must invite Jesus in for personal fellowship. This verse has been used to describe the salvation experience of a person, the concept of opening the door of our heart and letting Jesus in. And there's nothing wrong with that picture. But in context, the picture of Jesus being locked out of his own house is addressed to believers. The good application of this idea is that old country concept to dance with the one who brought you to the dance. In other words, we need to walk with Jesus in close fellowship in the same way as the day you and I first came to know him as our Savior and Lord. It is sad but true that most of us do not understand strong love that is manifested through staunch disciplinary action. Most of us associate Jesus' threatened discipline with hate and anger, a disdain for the person under the microscope of works evaluation. It is also sad that many of us who were raised in church heard so much preaching about the unconditional love that we failed to hear that God does expect his church to, as my father used to say, straighten up and fly right and get to real work that has lasting kingdom consequences because it is done in the power, protection, and provision of the Holy Spirit and not in our own deficient resources and strength. Just today, I listened to an interview with Christian recording artist Brian Duncan, who had a lot of popular songs on the radio back in the 80s. He described that in 2019, he had the worst year of his life. He had two close friends die of cancer a close friend died from injuries sustained in a motorcycle accident. His mother died and his wife came down with a serious undiagnosable health issue. He said the circumstances really put his faith and belief to the test. He finally came to a point that he realized he could do nothing about all these terrible circumstances. That is when he had to reaffirm his faith in God as creator and sustainer and the rewarder of those who seek him and look to God to meet the needs of his circumstances. Wow, the power of God's love to see past the pathetic state of mediocrity to the potential for excellence that soars. Friend, do you remember a first day when Jesus became Savior and Lord of your life and you walked with him in zeal, faith, purity, and true spiritual vision? If you don't, you really need to think about if you really know him. A person does not just osmosisize their way into God's kingdom— When you meet him face-to-face and he saves you, all the things I've mentioned come flooding in. The message to the church at Laodicea is a good place for each of us to camp out for a while and do some heavy soul-searching. Take a personal inventory on our present state of existence with the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation, Jesus. Out of all the seven churches, the church in America best fits the description of Laodicea. That is why against a backdrop of national and world decay and crisis— The church is silent and absent, absent from the scene. Against this backdrop of total decay and collapse, the going church is debating over which brand of coffee to feature in its coffee bar. Do we put in an indoor ball crawl and a play area in the children's area? Oh, here the reason why we're not growing is because our buildings are old and outdated. That's the answer. We need to tear down the old and build the new. That'll bring them in. We need more relevant self-help sermons, Women pastors, that's what's wrong. We need more women pastors. Oh, we preach too much about sin. We need to be more seeker-friendly. Wait, it's the location where we are in town. We're in a dead neighborhood now. That's it. We need to move where the new growth is happening. Friend, all the while, people are sleeping in blue pop-up dome tents and defecating in five-gallon Home Depot buckets urinating in the streets, and injecting heroin in front of the police in our major metropolitan areas. We need to wake up. Our self-sufficiency and wealth is killing us. Friend, it's time for a change. Let the change begin with me. Let the change begin with you. Jesus concludes his targeted messages to the seven churches of Asia with this astounding promise which we need to keep in the forefront of our thinking as the days grow increasingly wicked. He says, and this is good news, in the spite of all the bad, to the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.